The following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now it's True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang. It is that time of the week. It is the best Tuesday you've had all week, and it's the best show you've listened to since 3.49 p.m. How about that? There we so go. it is the True Wealth Radio Show. Uh, I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. And in studio today, we have... Matt Dixon. I love it. So, Matt, thanks for uh, helping hold down the fort again. There's rumors we may drag Justin back in the studio again next week. Yeah. That's what I hear. He is uh, out there... Uh, trying to, I don't think it's defend a title, but trying to earn one in his golf league. Yeah, he said he's a few strokes behind, so we'll see. We'll see if he picks it All up. All right, we're pulling for you, buddy. Let's see, see you bring home the the big the big cup or whatever it is that you win for that. That's right. Maybe it's just bragging The golden rights. golf cart. The golden golf cart. There you <laughs> go. So uh, we have been covering a bunch over the weeks you know the true well show we cover all kinds of stuff but i got just a really compelling question from a good friend of mine who brought up a point and it was really it was a very interesting one that kind of spun off into a conversation and i wanted to share with our listeners matt and, okay. and it's an interesting one because it's a term that i think we throw around as professionals all the time and we just assume what pe- people understand what we mean Right, uh-huh. and the term is cost of capital. Mm. Right, and so if you're thinking to yourself, "What does that really mean?" Then we're going to help you understand that today, and we're going to talk a little bit about the financial system and why you actually care about what is happening in Washington D.C. and what is happening in the Federal Reserve banking system. This is going to go deep. This is going to be a loaded show. <laughs> I don't know if it's. I'm going to try not to be in the weeds with it. I mean, the uh, ideas uh, are in the That's what weeds. I'm here for. I'm going to safeguard you from it, okay. right? It's, 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 the ideas themselves are sort of heavy. But if we understand the concepts and we strip back some of the layers, I we think- We just got to unpack it. Yeah, I think you can stay with me, and I think it can make sense. There are two things in the world that- we talk about professionally a lot that comes to what drives the cost of capital. And a lot of it is related to economic activity in general and how the economy performs. The cost of capital meaning the cost to borrow money. Well, we're going to talk about it's so much more than just that. Okay. But yes, largely the cost of capital is how much. So, I mean, you, we could be as direct costs, right? What's the cost to borrow money? That's the cost of capital. Low interest rates means low cost of capital. High interest rates, high cost of capital. Mm -hmm. But there's also opportunity costs and other trade-offs. So there's many costs that surround this. But but in the simplest form, yeah, cost of capital is interest rates. Yeah. Right? Uh, But what influences the system? Now, the reason that we care about the system is because, you know, there's an old adage in investing, right? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Oh, he figured it out. Yes. I am listening. So you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Why? 
Because what if they all get smashed? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's because you want to be diversified. It's I, I, another way is you you build. Uh, if you're going to build a pier, you want to have lots of pylons, right? Because if one of them fails, the whole pier doesn't go in the water. Yeah. Okay. It's the idea that you want safety by spreading your risk out into more things, so you're less likely, from a probability standpoint, to have everything fail simultaneously. But here's what people don't necessarily realize. Diversification, there's there's two primary kinds of risk and diversification really only helps protect against one, right? Diversification helps to protect against something called idiosyncratic risk. Uh-oh. Right? Here oh, we are, we're dude, going into the weeds, No, David. we're not, because oh, you know not? what idiosyncratic okay. means? It means individual position risk. Hmm. Fancy big word that says, well, every investment kind of has its own stuff going on. Right. Everything and, carries some type right? of risk. So if if the if we discover that a firm has accounting irregularities, right? Bad sign, right? Oh, somebody's cooking the books. Not <laughs> good. That tends to really damage the perception of value of a company. Now, if it turns out, well, they were cooking the books and they got it wrong, we actually made more money than we thought. Everybody goes, oh, whew, and then the investors come flocking back, provided that the systems are shored up and that the data is going to be clean going forward. But if you've got lousy data, that really shakes investor confidence. But if a company has bad accounting, does that mean that all companies have bad accounting? No. No. No, it's idiosyncratic. It's unique to that specific instance. So sure. diversification protects us against that. Well, and I say it protects somewhat, right? Because if that occurs, you, you know, that's going to get hammered. And a big enough company that's, you know, like if we discovered that Apple had accounting irregularities, that's a really big issue because Apple is owned by all kinds of index funds and yeah. pension plans. And so that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, when you get a giant you know, one of the top three companies on the planet kind of deal, and they have a problem. Everyone, we all get a problem, that. right? Yeah. And what happens is that's the other kind of risk. Ooh, systemic risk. The idea that something happens and it affects everything, like an overall market risk. In yeah, a sense. yeah. And you can't really protect from that with diversification because then it gets everything, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, diversification. Don't put all your eggs in one basket because if one of those eggs is rotten. You know, it can ruin the whole basket. You're really right? getting into the systematic versus unsystematic. Systematic risk. versus unsystematic. And we needed to understand that to get this concept around the cost of capital, which is there's two big things that wag the dog. Right. Okay. I see where you're starting to take yeah, us. Yeah. Right. So we have what we call fiscal policy. And then we have monetary, monetary policy, right? So you've now you're you're like, uh, I've read uh, you're, about you're this. You're starting right? to put it together for me here. Yeah. Right, right. And so for all of our listeners out there, you're like, why do I care? Well, fiscal policy is like Washington, D.C., right? And to a lesser extent, Salem, or even here in Roseburg and Douglas Setting County. Setting the laws that yeah, change our money. How are the governments going to spend and collect the money, right? So and then, it is both. It's not just how much tax is collected. It's where is the government spending it. And then we've got the monetary policy which is more like the federal reserve board yes the okay. federal reserve board and the banking system and the monetary policy is 
how we sort of influence the amount of money in circulation. Tightening the spending or loosening it up. Well, think of it this way, right? If you want to slow down economic activity, just make it hard for people to get money. Right. Right. If you want to speed up activity, then you dump money in their lap. What did we do during COVID when everything shut down and the economy was in giant, giant trouble? We gave people a lot of access to money. It just dumped money, right? Your yeah. stimulus dollars. So like it just showed up in your account or you got a check in the mail that said, if you qualified based on last year's tax return, here is to from to you free money, mm -hmm. right? Here is just money that you could go spend on whatever you want. Ta-da! Isn't that some some also to do with like the buying of the 10-year treasury notes so, or separate issue okay? okay and that gets that's part of monetary policy but now you're you're treading into some you want to talk about weeds you're treading into quantitative easing hmm. that we'll see if we get there all right okay we'll see we'll put if we it get on there. The we know about that as a concept now we set it on the air so people are going to be like wait a second well you know hang out and let's see where we go with this right but before that we simply you know we go back to fiscal and monetary right two types of policy so i want to start with the idea of fiscal policy because those stimulus checks that showed up that's what that was right, right. the government said let's put money in people's accounts okay regardless of where it came from whether it was borrowed from people and, and the future taxpayers paying it back whether it was conjured right and to, you know to some extent money has been conjured in the system just sort of produced out of you know the ether like well we have a printing press let's just print more it's not <laughs> as simple as run the printing press but there it's as simple as like a few keystrokes here and voila look there's more money in the system yeah so we did some of that but what it does is it speeds up economic activity and that is relevant because what you don't want to do is like what happens when you have demand destruction. Okay, there's two supply Ooh. and demand, right? Yeah. Everybody knows that curve, like what determines the price? It's supply versus demand, and it finds equilibrium. If you remember Econ 101, that's that little teeter totter between supply and demand. So, we've we, COVID was a big interruption in supply, right? Oh, right. Nobody, nobody's working. We can't make the, the widgets. There's fewer widgets, so the supply drops. But when nobody was working, nobody was earning money. And so the demand started to drop too because people were like, well, I got to spend my money on only the essentials that I can access because I don't have any money. Yeah. So I'm not going to spend it on frivolous stuff, only the stuff that's most important to me. Well, that's demand destruction. Hmm. That is economically really dangerous. How much of that do you think we saw during COVID? Oh, clearly we saw demand destruction. Yeah. Oh, without question. Uh, you what, know, you, what sector do you think was hit the hardest by um, that? I, it was all over the place. But keep in mind, this is a death spiral concept. Okay. If you have demand destruction, so companies, uh, people can't go to work. So then they can't buy stuff. And then the companies can't sell stuff. So the companies don't make money. So they lay more people off. More people laid off means that they can't work, which means they can't buy stuff, which means the company can't produce more stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it gets... You know, they worse lay more and worse people and off, and it just becomes sort of catabolic, right? Like it's it's the idea you're you're wasting away. If you if the term catabolic, by the way, is it's a term from physiology. It's like when your muscles, it's it's your body eats your muscle tissue to become 
to, to save you so you don't have to burn as many calories, right? So like I'm starving. I'm going to burn the, the thing that's most efficient to get rid of, so I burn the muscle, mm-hmm. right? And then I have less muscle to work with in the future, so it's harder to burn more calories. It's the dieter's conundrum, right? If you lose muscle, it's harder to burn calories, so then you have to eat less. But you know, if you don't eat enough, you're going to lose the muscle. And so it's, it's a bad feedback loop. Mm-hmm. happens in the economic world, too. Okay. Bad feedback loop, right? Yeah. So markets are going down. And people stop working, people stop working, so they stop buying stuff, and then stop buying stuff, the company stop making money, and then the price drops more. So how do you stop it? Money from heaven, right? I mean, that's what the Federal Reserve The cost of capital. Just like, boom, like just throw it out there. So we did it. And the question is, now what, right? What do we do now that we've started dumping money in the economy, and what does it mean? When know you're dying to know, but speaking of profits, we have to take an obscene profit break first. So what we'll do is cost of capital for the station will get taken care of right now. And on the flip side, we're going to unpack some more of this and tell you why it is relevant to you as an investor. But first, these messages. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. Uh, if you're just tuning in, as you know, there's a podcast. It'll be available tomorrow. Uh, check out our webpage at littlejohnfs.com. And under the Educate tab, you will find this and uh, a bunch more too. So check it out, dig through all kinds of free tools for investors, ways to learn more and become empowered by knowledge. And that sounds good, right? It does. So uh, clearly, I've made an impact, uh, at least on one listener, because I got a text. Uh, same buddy that started this whole conversation says, you know, Warren Buffett tells me that uh, you should just put all your egg, you know, just put a few eggs in a basket and watch it really closely. And my response was that Warren Buffett has also famously said diversification is protection against ignorance. Right. But it's true. What Warren Buffett says is. Uh, if you don't know what you're doing, basically go buy the index and let the market take care of you. Mm-hmm. But he says, if you believe in your investment thesis, then take essentially take bigger bets on a fewer fewer positions. Don't don't over diversify. Now this is Warren Buffett. I'm not suggesting you should do what he says. I'm not offering you the advice of that. But I will tell you that we've looked at the math. And that there is very little additional diversification benefit statistically beyond somewhere between 20 and 25 positions. Yeah. Now, that's you You don't take that out of context. I didn't just tell you I shouldn't own that many. So I should concentrate really heavily. I didn't say that. What I said was the benefit from diversification begins to really decline after, say, 25 or so positions. What you see is... Going from 25, like when you go from one position to two positions, you really get immediate benefit to diversification. You're no longer all or nothing, right? You're 50-50 now. Mm -hmm. You go to five positions, you're significantly more benefited. You've reduced your overall standard deviation in your sample set, right? Because you're spreading it over a bigger sample size. But what happens is, and this is just a fancy way of saying, right? Hey, you know, if I have two stocks, you know, I have a 50 50 shot that either of those things drops, then it means I got maybe a one in four shot that they both go down simultaneously, 
right? That's just a Punnett square, if you remember your math, and, you know, heads, 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 tails, tails, heads, or tails, tails, right? That's yeah. like flipping a coin, you, you know, it's 50-50, right? So two flips, that's my combos. I could either get both heads, both tails, or a head or a tail. And the head or a tail can happen twice. So I get twice as many shots at a at that as I do as both heads or both tails. But if I get 10 coins and flip all 10, what's the probability that all 10 of them are heads? It's like well, pretty low, right? I mean, it's hard to flip all of yeah. them. Even though they're each 50-50, I could flip 10 ends in a row, heads in a row. It could happen. I remember being at like a fish derby a few years ago when that happened. Like they flipped 10 heads in a row or something on this game they were playing. So it's not unheard of, but it's unusual. Yeah. But when you've got 25 flips, the probability that you get 25 heads or 25 tails is really, really low. Yeah. But here's the thing. The probability of that 25 sampling is almost the same as if you had like 1,000 coins and flipped 1,000 coins. Like the actual statistical distribution between 25 coin flips and 1,000 coin flips isn't very different. Right. You no, just did it it's not. 975 more times. Mm -hmm. As an investor, you got to know the statistics, right? And understand your sample and go, well, look, just because I keep flipping the coin a bunch of times doesn't make me smarter. It makes me busier, right? At some point, like, yeah. there's diminishing return to the coin flip. Yeah. And that's how diversification works to a certain extent is at some point, you water down the benefit of additional diversification, and you just start to, to walk and talk and act kind of like the whole market. I feel like that's a really good analogy. Uh, thanks. Me yeah. too, right? And, and it's also why I tell people, like, look at your mutual funds and get into the data on how many positions they own. If your mutual fund owns 2,000 positions, You're you are the index, the right? Yeah. You're the market. Because they're all so tiny that you're, you're starting to mimic the market. In fact, there's a statistical measure that you can go look for. Like if you go to yahoo.com or Yahoo Finance or like Morningstar, go look for, for a little thing in there. You ever wonder what this means? It says R squared. The letter R dash squared. It's a statistical measurement that describes how much of the movement in an investment can be explained by its underlying benchmark. How correlated is it to its benchmark? Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, oh, well, it's R squared to the S&P 500 is 0.99. Well, the S&P 500 goes up 1%. It goes up 0.99. Basically, it's you're basically saying like doing the same. It's thing. essentially the same thing as the S&P 500. It's statistically indiscernible from it. So why spend a bunch of money to on a portfolio if you're if you could go duplicate it for cheaper by just buying an index? It, yeah. Right. And these are little tips and tricks that. Uh, money managers need to know so that, and if you're managing your own money, you should know this, right? Like, oh, I got this great mutual fund. Really? Is it better than its index? Well, oh, totally, because look at all these things. And you're things talking about own. buying the index through like an ETF yeah, or a mutual fund. Yeah. Right? I mean, they have SP 500 index fund. Yeah. And, and if you're like, well, look, I've got this, you know, ABC growth fund. And it compares to the S&P 500 and you go, you know, it beat it this year by 2%. So clearly it's better and go, well, what about last year and the year before and the year before? It turns out the R squared is 0.98%. You know, it's statistically identical to the S&P. It's really hard to, to rationalize that they're the same if you look at the data over a longer time period. But if you just wanted to track the index and that was your sole yeah, objective. Buy the index. It's the cheapest way to do it. Okay. Right. And ETF is probably the cheapest, cheapest way. Mm -hmm. But there's... I mean, gosh, you know, Schwab and Vanguard and 
Fidelity. I mean, they all have these super cheap index funds now mm-hmm. that are just, you know, pennies on the right. thousands to manage because yeah. there's it's just a computer doing the work. Uh, anyway, we're so, you know, we're there you go. There's some more statistical data on money management. Uh, I hope that some of you listening found it useful, but let's talk a little bit more about this idea of we were talking about fiscal and monetary policy, right? Mm hmm. Fiscal was that stuff in D.C., the tax collection policy and the money spend. Why do we care about that, Matt? Well, we use that to be able to kind of look into the future markets and say, what's going to happen in the future? Yeah, and it's also, I mean, like tax is real obvious, right? Like if if, if Washington, D.C. decides to raise tax rates across the country, Mm -hmm. what does that mean to you or me? We've got less money to spend. Right. Yeah. Right. It's going to change our behavior because it's going to impact our wallet. Yep. Okay. It's a direct hit. Yeah. Now, what does it mean if we have, for example, a big infrastructure program, though? What, what does that potentially mean? Higher taxes. Could be. But in theory, it means something else, too. This Extra is where job creation. It, it may mean job creation, right, depending on what the infrastructure is. And maybe even an, an entire shift in the economy. Well, and that's part of the idea. Yeah. Now, here's where we get a little. This is in the weeds a little. So just Let's go on. there. It's an economic theory called Keynesian economics. I think it was uh, John Maynard Keynes was the economist. And it was the theory that government is actually a buffer for the economy. And so when an economic downturn occurs, governments should spend in order to stimulate economic activity. So the government goes and buys stuff or, or you know, puts people to work in infrastructure and so forth, so that there's jobs, so that the spending occurs, which spools things up, mm-hmm. okay? And economically spools things up, increases activity. So that's a Keynesian economic theory, is that the government spending is stimulative to the economy. Now, there's a funny thing that happened on the way to the fair, right? Which is just a stupid movie from back in the day. You probably don't even know what I'm talking about. So, I think it was actually on the way to the World Fair, but whatever. Uh, the flip side of Keynesian economics is during times where there is a surplus, meaning the, the, the economy is going strongly and the government is receiving strong tax receipts, the government should bank that surplus and mm-hmm. use that surplus for the future downturns. And it's to sort of load, you know, balance out the economy so when the private sector is booming, the government is saving, and when the private sector is struggling, the government is spending. I feel like the problem with that is, though, when is the government actually saving? Aha! I mean, Aha! we just spend. We get money, and we're like, oh, let's spend oh, it. Oh, yeah, if the economy's down, but the government needs to spend to stimulate. We better go do this, right? right. The economy's up, and the government says, well, we got all this money we collected. we got to go spend it. Yeah. So there is no rainy day for our government the way it's currently run. It's like the kid that hears the ice cream truck coming down the road. I just got a dollar. Let's go spend it. There's some of that going on. And I think there's some of this that says, how do I get reelected? I need to spend to benefit my constituents so that they continue to reelect me. So I'm not incentivized to think long term as an elected official. I think pretty short term. Now, there are elected officials that attempt to think long term. But when you have a whole big group of people say 535 of them in Congress and the Senate, you tend not to move to the smartest common denominator, but the <laughs> lowest common denominator just to get things done. Yeah. You know, so I think there's some like, oh, really? Well, like, and you always got that idea of like, let's change things. Let's make it better. 
and the way to make it better is to spend money, right? That's that's just an underlying theme, and we see it across the board well, in so many different areas. And one of the challenges of capitalism, especially in the environment that we're in right now, is that we're seeing this consolidation of value. I mean, we're, we have trillion-dollar companies, right? Apple and Google and Amazon, and you look at the market cap of these companies, and it's over a trillion dollars. You know, like... Apple is bigger than the economy of like you take like 20 or 20 countries add them together and they're still smaller than Apple. If you look at the GDP of smaller countries and start adding up the bottom tier of independent sovereigns. Isn't that crazy like, to think they're about? They're smaller than companies. So yeah, it's nuts. But if you think about that, then you realize, well, what's going on here? Well, the wealth has really concentrated in certain areas and it drives people nuts right i mean it, it, it especially the farther and harder left politically somebody is the more this tends to drive them insane because you're like why does bill gates have so much money or why does jeff bezos uh, you know who owns amazon or you know he's the, the the biggest shareholder in amazon he was the founder of amazon right uh you know why does he have so much money these billionaires building rockets to the moon and stuff that's ridiculous and i, well, I can't argue with it it's ridiculous but what do you tell somebody that says, hey, Jeff Bezos, you built a company um, in, in your lifetime. You took it from a concept that didn't exist to now one of the top four companies on the planet. And you own 14 percent of it. And, the, and anybody can go buy the shares. They're available on the market if you want to go become a part owner in Amazon. But because he started it. He still owns 14% of the company, and the company's worth over a trillion dollars. And people are like, it's not fair, it's not cool. Go, but in this case, he didn't do it on his own, but he really was responsible for the, he was the tip of the spear building one of the largest companies on the planet. And it happened in a generation. Yeah. It's not like a multi-generational event. First generation bazillionaire who built... Amazon from the American dream 30 years ago. It's the American dream. Yeah, but I mean, 30 years ago, Amazon didn't exist. Yeah. Today, it's one of the biggest companies on the planet, and it's eclipsing uh, entire countries' economies. And and when you get mad and go, it's not right that Jeff Bezos is worth that much money. And I go, I don't. I get why you don't like it because it's like all this concentrated wealth in his hands, and he can kind of influence and do all this stuff and. But but, what do you want to say? Like you 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 don't want people to build successful companies and put people to work. Yeah, I, I'm I'm stumped. I just say go be the next Jeff Bezos. Yeah, but I but mean, but when people are like it's not fair and they say we need a wealth tax and I go yeah. think about what that means. You that invented this like Jeff Bezos, you own 14 percent of Amazon. We don't like it, so we want to force you to sell your company to pay taxes. Like. So you don't believe in ownership now? Yeah, exactly. That's effectively where we're at. I'm yeah. like, ah, are you sure you want that? Because what starts with that one person trickles down to everybody. Everyone, yeah. And that's what a lot of people pushing the socialism agenda just yeah, and, don't. And I wasn't trying to go there. It wasn't supposed to be a big political conversation about socialism. It was just this, like, beware of getting what you ask for. Yeah. Right? Beware of this because you're mad that a first generation creator of something that didn't exist before. It's like, well, it's not. I don't like it. So, but careful, because if you're going to apply things equally, you may 
have Apply a lot of unintentional consequences. Exactly. So anyway, that's back to why the fiscal policy really matters. Where does the money get spent? How do we tax it? All of that's relevant. Okay. But you know, there's a whole nother side to it. Yep. And the music's coming for good reason. I really, we got to talk about this interest rate thing. Like you want to know if you can afford your house in the future or is inflation going off the rails or whatnot? There's more, but we got to take this break. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Okay, that is the music. We get to come back and talk more finance. And uh, I know you guys are just chomping at the bit to know about monetary policy like it sounds so i can't believe this show is just everything i've always wanted <laughs> monetary, like we're learning about fiscal and monetary policy how could it get any more interesting and uh i'm not going to apologize duck on it because <laughs> i'm like all of this matters to you because there's somebody's out there going like well i want to you know uh, everybody's asking me the same question right now you know what the question is matt when's it going to tank Yep, that is one of the questions. But that's everybody keeps saying, like, well, the the, the market's got to tank because of all of this inflation. Yes, it's inflation, right? And they're like, there's got to be inflation everywhere, and so it's just a matter of time, right? You hear it all the time, I every mean, day. I am getting this question like daily from people. So, well, you know, I just don't trust who's in the White House, or I don't trust you know so and so who's not in the White House, or. But are we looking at the numbers? Are we looking at the data? It's. Uh, I mean, all of the above, but then the, then you have to look at it and say, I don't even trust the government, right? Because they they sandbag the data. Yeah. Or they change it, right? Hey, what about how we used to measure inflation one way and then we changed it? Data fitting. Yeah, or we just keep sort of readjusting the narrative. Like, for, uh, this is a buddy of mine pointed out earlier. You know, uh, it used to be Federal Reserve was saying, well, inflation is transitory. Then we had Janet Yellen come out not long ago. She's the former Fed chair, right? And she said, well, actually, inflation's a good thing. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's whoa. a statement. Right? So, and it's not that that's an inaccurate statement, but it needs to be in, in context. Yeah, absolutely yeah. <laughs> in context, right? Yeah, let's reel that one in a little bit. Uh, you know, people don't think about it as like, if inflation's good or bad, you probably want some inflation, right? Oh, yeah. Like, if you think about it, if you borrowed money to buy your house, you would like your house to be worth more later, even though you've been paying interest on it. Yep. Right? You want the inflation. You want it to keep up. Right? And and you want or it to exceeded. keep up because we're all banking on it. Like, we're all assuming it's literally built into the expectation of the system right now. It, it's just... We we want inflation, but only in some at a way. reasonable rate. No, we want inflation only for assets that we own. Ah, there you <laughs> right? go. Like like I want the stuff that I own to go up in value, but all the other stuff I want to get it for cheap if I have to buy it. Right? Yeah. I don't want to pay a lot for my house. I want to get it on sale. I don't want to have high gas prices. That's lame. <laughs> right? I mean, like, what do you want to overpay for, Matt? Ooh, that's a hard one. <laughs> right? It's like, you know, that's the, when you've asked the question in a way where you can't win, right? Yeah. What do you want to overpay for? Well, I don't want to overpay for anything. So <laughs> I don't want to overpay, right? I felt like I was going to have like some smart remark to that. And I'm like, it's not, it's it, not there. You know, it was, it's like the, um, 
you know, when you have a bad habit, there's, this is a terrible example, but I can't think of any better one. It's like, so have you stopped beating your kids? You're like, you can't win, right? It's like, I never was. Where did you come up with this? If you say yes or no, it's like, sure. Oh, I can't believe I'm awful you for doing that. And if you say like, well, no, why haven't you stopped? Right? It's like, it's a trap. The question was a trap. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, yeah. So we don't want to overpay for anything. We get that. But for our investors, I mean, I continue to look at this and say, first off, I think inflation is real. Right. I think it's real. Um, does that I continue to also suggest and, and this is not as investment advice. This is as think through this with me. OK. Matt, if we're going to go through inflation, what do you do to protect yourself? Hedge against it. OK, so but th thank you. How like like what what do you do? You find investments that outpace inflation. OK, so you want to pay outpace inflation. So, like, without saying what they like, let's not try to name the investments themselves. But categorically, I mean, how the do you S do that? What do you I do? Mean, the S and P five hundred, just as an example. I mean, if we just look at the average, isn't it around twelve percent? Historically, I mean, yeah, it's close. So, to that. I mean, if you're in it for the long haul and you've got a long time horizon, that's a pretty safe way to beat inflation. Yeah, I mean, real estate tends to beat inflation on average. So here's the key own assets yeah just own something right yeah. own assets stop accumulating liabilities in that thousand dollar laptop that's not really an asset that's depreciating because i see a lot of people they just shove all of their money into stuff that will never be able to they're not going to be able to resell it for anywhere well, close to what they paid buying for it. stuff that depreciates in value isn't buying an asset you may right. be buying a tool that but you i need. feel like a lot of people think that way they sure. think it's an asset they're like look at all this cool stuff i've got and i'm like well in three years all of that stuff is going to be worth nothing yeah look at my cool truck it's also depreciating asset right yeah it's it's like you're you're getting into a boat that you know is going to sink yeah yeah and so that's a really tough one for folks to, to reach the mental threshold of like the difference between asset and liability. But let's stick with inflation for a minute, right? All right, we'll reel it back in. Owning assets, okay? Assets can go through pain periods. And this is why investing, we talk about time horizon. How long are you going to let something play out? Mm -hmm. okay? The interesting thing about assets is typically speaking, they're a good way to preserve your purchasing power, right? Let me give you a funny example. The Confederacy, right? And we have the Civil War and the Confederacy, despite what some may say in the South, loses the war. <laughs> okay? Yes. The Confederacy had attempted to establish its own currency. Yeah. And attempted to become its own sovereign country and upon its failure the currency was rendered worthless okay other mm -hmm. than as maybe a collector's item now the currency could purchase nothing it was no longer backed by anything it was just paper so did everything in the south because the south lost the war all of a sudden become valueless not unless i mean all of your money was in 
Confederate cash for a lack well, of better I mean, terms. All of the Confederate I mean, cash was people that owned assets still had their assets. Correct. Right. If there was a if you owned real estate and had, you know, a plantation or whatever it may have been, that stuff didn't disappear. What happens is it had to be repatriated into the new currency. Right. Yeah. People ask me, like, what happens if we like the US dollar stops being the world's reserve currency? And I go, Still your house is still worth well, something. A lot of pain, right? But yeah, the question is, do you give up the chain of custody or the chain of ownership? Now, conspiracy theory alert, only it's not a conspiracy. Think about for a moment. Uh, are the, in the prior segment talking about Jeff Bezos. And if you start going through wealth tax and you start down the path of you uh, sort of abandon the concept of private ownership. And, that, and most people aren't for that, by the way, not on purpose, right? But if you start to say, well, the government really controls all the buying and selling of everything. And the really extreme hard right will say things like, well, they already do, because if you don't pay your property taxes, you don't get to keep the property, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's not that they're wrong, but largely... There's a whole process before land is sort of foreclosed from a person right now. So we still agree with the concept of ownership. Okay. But if we took that away and then the dollar collapsed and there was no chain of custody for title of ownership, how do you know how to repatriate anything? You know all the Bitcoin people out there are like, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Yes, they are, right? Because like, <laughs> they're like, totally decentralized from <laughs> the government. They can't yeah. take it, right? Yep. And they're not wrong no right they're not wrong if you play out the real real extremes in a situation here's why i think they're not wholly right either though okay it's in nobody's interest in the world right now to have the u.s dollar collapse no other than folks that are really really radical that represent such a small fraction of the world and and nobody really wants to live under their ideal set because it's kind of like you do it our way or we kill you yeah, right? I mean, like terrorist organizations may be like pulling for the dollar to collapse, but like even China, who you know they they want to be the sort of top of the food chain, but, but they don't. They want, also need us. Yeah, they they want their buyers to We're their survive. Cash cow. Everybody's invested in dollars all over the planet. They don't want it to fail. They just kind of want to win the race, right? Yeah. They, they want to be the ones in the driver's seat. So we got to keep that context in mind here. That. Uh, yeah, I've taken to this super crazy extreme. Yikes. But the probability is not the super crazy extreme. I won't say it's a zero probability, but I'm saying I'm not going to bet the farm that way. That doesn't make a ton of sense, right? Mm -hmm. That's not betting on green on the roulette wheel. That's like betting that the ball stops in between two of the spots and rests on one of those <laughs> little ridges. You know, I'm like, I'm not saying it can't happen, but are you serious? How could you do that? Yeah. So it's it's so exotically out there that it doesn't make a ton of sense. But there are people that believe it, and I'm not here to feed that animal because come on, people, that's that's the you, you feed the wrong thing, it'll grow and it'll freak you out. <laughs> so look, look, we're a little long. Let's grab our last break. Uh, stick around when we come back. Let's put it all together talk about how as investors ought we be positioning ourselves uh, in this market with inflation and all this chaos. Sounds good. All right. Last break. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You got new... Oh, you got true wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang. Welcome back to the home stretch of... The True Wealth Show. 
Yeah, look, he's on it, right? We're 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 getting you used to the mic. I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. It's great. All right, so Matt, I want to give us. A ch- I, I really want to talk to you about this because uh, for everybody, you know, Matt's Matt's newer to the team, and I love it because of this fresh perspective that comes yeah. in. Uh, but we've been talking a lot about this. We're talking with investors a lot about this, and it's you know people have talked. They're they're, they're concerned about inflation. They're concerned about the stock market, which really has just been on an upward trend essentially since the big COVID hit of 2020. And it's just it's been just, chugging along. And right? there hasn't been a whole lot of volatility. Really l- low volatility, which does – there's another thing that that does, right? It, it makes us sensitive. The market goes down 2 or 3% and people are like, <gasps> right? And, and, and that's pretty normal. But, we but a lot of people really get spooked real easily when you've had a year and a half of just, just really growth. low volatility, yeah. constant higher, higher, higher. Yeah. Why do you figure it keeps going higher? I mean, I feel like part of it is the profit margins have increased for businesses. Yeah, I think you're right. I feel the businesses like, I mean, survive. you got to think a lot of companies have sent people home they're working from home and i think that's allowing them to save potentially a little bit on overhead costs mm-hmm. um, i think we're automating things even more mm-hmm. um, so i think the cost to the employer has actually gone down i mean you think about restaurants right if we're not dining in at a restaurant well now you're paying your cooks and you're not having to clean up after people. You know, there's just a lot of costs that you're you're saving on in some regard. I know. He's over there watching me kind of tilt my head going like, I don't know. I mean, I think restaurants are one of those in COVID that got hammered pretty hard. Right. Because people don't, they're not going out to eat as much. They've had to sort of retool. A lot of restaurants are gone. Yeah, restaurants might not be the best you know, example. But but I get your larger point. I mean, I think big companies like Amazon's killing it, right? Like if you're not yeah. shopping in a store as much, you're buying online. Right. Although Walmart and Costco have also really done well. And I feel like people have more money to spend. You know, you cut all these stimulus checks. I mean, people that are going to spend the money. That was the, the idea was we we pumped a lot of money into the system. And so we're seeing it in in two ways, right? I mean, you're inflation buying- uh, has because of increase in some people's money, at least short term. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people still don't have jobs, but we paid a lot of people that weren't working too. And then we also have had these supply chain interruptions that have reduced the amount in circulation. So the demand is, you know, lower supply, same demand, price goes up. Would you say that we've kind of bought the economy? Oh, sure. Yeah. Remember we talked about this last week. If you go out and measure, uh, the government has some different statistics on it, but the M2 money supply is the one to go look at. And in the last 12 months, I think it's up 20, it's over 20% increase in the M2 money supply in the last 12 months. So more than 20% of all of the dollars in existence were created in the last year. Okay. Wait, say that again. More than 20% of all of the dollars that are in existence were created in the last year. That's frightening. That's insane. And it's also, people will say, well, it's necessary, it's pandemic, it's this, that, and the other. Look, you know what America's awesome at, especially in politics? Rationalizing what we want. Yeah. We are awesome at just rationalizing things. And so you can get away with it until you can't. And then then the trick is, first you rationalize it, 
and then you blame somebody else. I mean, in theory, if we just throw 20% more money into the pool, in theory, you would think that inflation would... Yeah, if everything was perfectly linked, right, inflation in a perfect would go world. up effectively 20%. Because we just devalued everything. Because if, if 20% right. more dollars and no change in perch in, in any other factor, we just watered down the dollar. Well, and right? what's our year-to-date inflationary rate? Uh, it depends on roughly. how you measure and where. Right, but right? roughly. You know, I always say, like, imagine saying, well, what's the temperature of the turkey that you're roasting? And you say, well, <laughs> where are you measuring? Right. Right. So it does matter. If it's frozen in the middle and it's burnt on the outside... Okay, it's not good. I like that analogy. <laughs> so we still have to know how are we going to measure this turkey, right? And I think the economy is a little janky like that. Like, how are we going to measure this thing? Like, mm, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I just worry we're overbaking it the way we're we're pushing <laughs> we, things right now. We threw a frozen turkey in the oven at exactly. 500 degrees. Frozen turkey at 500 Express degrees. Express to said, cook this Let's thing. Let's see how this thing goes. <laughs> so. If you haven't taken anything away from this radio station or this show today, just take away that. Yeah, take away the right. frozen turkey economy, right? <laughs> yeah. oh, Can we title man. the show that for the? I think we will. That this is the title of this <laughs> podcast is the frozen turkey economy. Look, my take homes for you are that uh, you know if inflation is real, then you want to be asset sensitive. But the key is have enough liquidity, meaning have enough cash around that you can afford to be patient with your investments. Where you really have problems is when markets go through cycles, and they will, right? The markets will go down uh, in some form or fashion at some point now or in the future. And maybe the form of going down is that they just, everything else gets more expensive and the market doesn't, right? We could see that happen too. I've been, I've been kind of keeping an eye on that scenario. But when they go down, you don't want to be forced to sell at an inopportune time. Ooh. That's why you maintain liquidity, and that is the important way to survive this thing. That's why you need a good advisor. Exactly. So, Well, look, there is the music. So speaking of advisors, if you do not have one, if you would simply like a second opinion or a second set of eyes, give us a call. You can reach us at 541-375-0898, and you can also email us at littlejohnfs.com. So go to the webpage, check it out, and we'd love to connect with you. But we're out of time. So until next time, this has been Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. You've been listening to True Wealth. <laughs>